Testing, one, two, three. <laughs> He's a good man. He's a good man. Yes, Mark is back. I was wondering why none of you were laughing at my jokes. <laughs> well, again, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church on this fantastic Resurrection Sunday when we once again celebrate the fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ could not be held in that tomb, but came out of that tomb, was raised from the dead. This morning, I also want to begin by letting everybody know again how uh, we want to wish everybody a happy Resurrection Sunday today. Of course, we celebrate the resurrection every time we get together because we're here by virtue of the fact that Christ rose from the dead. And we preach the gospel, which is the fact that Jesus died for our sins and everybody's sins, was buried and then raised on the third day. But today we have a, a, a gift from the Lord to be able to just stop and take some time and once again refresh our hearts and our souls and our minds as to what happened and why it happened. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Every, every month we do um, feature a different missionary organization. And this, this month I uh, want everybody to know about Grace Bible Church Pakistan. And they've, they've been our friends for many years. Um, Faisal and Carrie John used to come to our summer camps when we had those. They have an incredible mission um, in Pakistan. And uh, their main goal, their objective is to preach the gospel and teach the word of God in the native language of Urdu, which is the native language of Pakistan. And um, it, is, it is a challenging and sometimes dangerous task that they have because that's a 98% Muslim country. There are a lot of extremists actually in that country as well, but the Lord has protected them in an amazing, amazing way. <clears throat> they have many ministries um, I want to just highlight a couple of them this morning. Of course, they're a church, and they have, they have a family that actually reaches around the world because of, of Pakistani um, expatriates and so forth. They also have an outreach ministry where they send people out into the local villages to preach the gospel and pray with the people. They, of course, also have a theological seminary, which uh, is pretty amazing. Pastor Fazal John preaches and teaches through the scriptures in their native language, Urdu, and uh, also provides messages on the website. They also have a Grace Academy English Medium School. It's a registered elementary school up to 8th grade. And they have 200 plus children. And it's a Grace ministry. They don't charge the parents for it. They also have a home for orphans. And that home needs support as well. Um, and again, their purpose is to live out the gospel in Pakistan and around the world preach the gospel, and then have the Holy Spirit work through them to make disciples of all that they reach. So we would just ask again, as we always do, that you would keep them in prayer, um, that the Lord would, oh, wait a minute. Hey, where did that picture come from? This is how they got greeted this year when they came back from the, to the United States, back to Pakistan last November. Pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. I'm waiting for my flowers, you know. Just kidding. So that's, that's, that's Carrie and Fazel. Many of you know them. Their website, www.gbcpakistan, gbcpakistan, all one word, dot org. Also, today, uh, because it's also the first Sunday of the month, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together at the end of service this morning. So that's something we can all look forward to. Also, I wanted to make a schedule note. Um, at the end of this month, the weekend of Thursday, April 22nd through Sunday, April 25th, I will be in Arizona at the Barah Ministries annual conference. I'll be, have the um, privilege of teaching there and preaching there. Because of that and our situation, we will not be having Bible study Thursday or on Sunday we won't be having service. So just want to let everybody know that ahead of time so it's not a surprise. Um, Again, Thursday, April 22nd through Sunday, April 25th. I will be in Arizona, and we won't have Bible study that week or Sunday service. All right. Now, this morning, I want you to turn to John. So we're going to start in chapter 2, where we left off last Sunday. John chapter 2, verse 19. Because there's a passage there that is our lead-in to this message this morning about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John chapter 2, verse 19. 
I'll give you a moment to get there this morning so everybody can see that. After that, we'll be in John chapter 20. <clears throat> so we'll get there as soon as we possibly can because that's the message. My favorite passage, all four Gospels, of course, record the resurrection. But John's is special in my heart because he just brings you right into it. It's like you're there with them. You have people when, and what they're seeing, what they're experiencing. John himself was, of course, a witness both to the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. But we'll start in chapter 2, verse 19. The title of today's message, When He Was Raised from the Dead. When He Was Raised from the Dead. That day, what happened that day? But also when He was raised from the dead, it set in motion and accomplish so many other things for us, and for the Father, and for this whole universe. And so we're going to look to the scriptures today, also in the, in, the, in the epistles, particularly Paul's writings, to see the, the meaning of it. What does it mean that he rose from the dead? What does it mean for us that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Again, John chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple. You will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. This morning we are going to the scriptures and we will hear the words that Jesus spoke. And that hopefully all of us will have our hearts stirred to believe everything in this Bible this morning that talks about the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was crucified. He had died. And now he was buried. He promised that he would see them again. They sang with him in the garden a few days before. And that same night, the Roman cohort came the soldiers, they bound him, they took him to the Jewish courts, then they took him to Pilate. Soon after that, Jesus was beaten and bleeding, and now he was dead. And the women anointed his dead body with spices, and they wept. Please turn to John chapter 20, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. Those women anointed his body and wept because they didn't know the whole story yet. We do. And when we look at the cross now, we see it in a completely different way. But we have to also understand what it was like for them in the death of Christ. And the reason is, is because when we see that and we see what happened and how we will experience once again the great joy of the resurrection when we understand where they came from and what, they, what was going on and what they thought they'd lost. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. I am so grateful for Mary and Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm glad they were there. I can run with them. I can feel their hearts beating. I can see through their eyes and through the word of God what they saw. Here now there's a tearful woman. She's awake. It's before dawn. In the darkness, she came to the tomb. And then she was startled. Someone had risen before her. Had to have. That stone would not have rolled itself away. She thought to run. Her heart beat faster. Was it terror or hope? It was too much for her. She needed help. She ran to Peter and to John. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. John. John was last to have seen him alive, to look into his eyes, to hear his last words. Peter would not look Mary in the eye. 
He played back that scene over and over and over again. Why did he say that? How could he say that? He did know this man. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. Each one of them had to see for himself as fast as they possibly could. And look at verse 4 now. And the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb herself. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. That's the Resurrection Sunday message. I have seen the Lord. We have the witnesses who could actually say that and meant they saw the Lord in the flesh. By the way, in the next several weeks, after this seven to be exact, Jesus would keep appearing to people. Many, 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 many people. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. I have seen the Lord. He was dead and now he's alive. He was no longer at the tomb. He has risen from the dead. And Mary announced that to the disciples. And over the next seven weeks, Jesus would appear to many people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Now Paul writing to the Corinthians. This was a mixed Gentile and Jewish congregation in Greece. And he's writing about the essence of what it means to be a Christian. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That meant it was all prophesied ahead of time. Even though the disciples couldn't understand the scriptures, nevertheless it was in God's word. And Jesus, by the way, after he rose from the dead, would explain these things to his disciples, how, he was, how the prophets spoke of him, how Moses spoke of him, and so forth. Again, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. Think of it, 500 brethren at one time. And all of them, most of them were still alive when Paul wrote. 
After that, again, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, have died. And then he appeared to James, his brother, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And that was quite a thing when Paul had the Lord Jesus Christ appear to him because up until that moment he had been the worst enemy of the church. And yet when he saw the Lord and he knew it was the Lord, I mean, there was this amazing demonstration of the glory of the Lord. He knew it was the Lord and then Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That was quite an announcement. So he also saw the risen Lord. As a matter of fact, you had to have seen the risen Lord if you were going to be an apostle. That was one of the requirements that you would see the risen Lord. I'll give you a little hint about that. That means, by the way, there are no apostles today. I know sometimes people call themselves apostles. Uh Uh-uh. By the way, at the end, in the book of Revelation, we know that there are going to be 12 12 apostles that are going to be honored in in the city of Jerusalem. In any event, he he went to those people. They saw him. He preached to them. And then after that, he went home. To his father. Please turn to Acts chapter 1 verse 9. Acts chapter 1 verse 9. He died. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 at one time. He appeared to James, his brother. And he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to Paul. But after he had, he had been there for 49 days, then it was time for him to ascend back to his father. It's recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky where he was going, behold, two men in white clothing Stood beside, by now they should know, when two men with white clothing appear, those are angels, and something amazing about the Lord is about to be revealed. Two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the way as you have watched him go into heaven. Promise. Promise for all of us. That just as on that day, the disciples saw him leave them and go back to the Father in a most miraculous way, ascending up into the heavens. And they stood looking and looking and looking. And then the angel said to them, what are you, why are you looking? Basically, he was saying to them, now go and do the things that the Lord asked you to do. Because he's coming back and he's going to come the same way that he left. By the way, he's going to come for us. The church, his body. And that's going to happen before the the coming back that everyone in the world will see. He'll bring us to him first. We'll see more of that. And after he came home, he then sat down. He sat down at his father's right hand, and he remains there right now. To this day, our Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, God in the flesh, has been seated at the right hand of God the Father. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. I want you to see all of these things in the scriptures. To understand that there was clear documentation. We have eyewitness testimony that that tomb was empty on the third day. He appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people at that time. There was no doubt. His his enemies never challenged the fact that that tomb was empty. It was. And hundreds and hundreds of people saw him alive. And then his disciples saw him go back up into heaven. And now Paul comes on the scene, and he's going to record these new things that the Lord revealed to him that had never been revealed until after Christ went up back home to the Father. Look at Ephesians 1.19. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, the power of God, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ leading to his ascension and his session where he's seated next to the Father, that just didn't have earthly implications. It had universal implications that he was now seen who he'd always been. He created the heavens and the earth. He had always been the Lord of all creation, but now he was seated right next to God the Father in those heavenly places. He was above any other rule in the universe, any other authority, any other power, any other dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That's the resurrection, and that's what it meant to the heavens. That's what it meant to the universe, that he had risen from the dead. By the way, the whole earth now, waits now for the sons of God to be revealed as resurrected. Right now the earth groans, the animals and the, everything about this earth is groaning. The people, the earth itself, the earthquakes, things can't be what they were meant to be, designed to be. Human beings were never designed to die, and yet we die. We weren't designed to be born in sin. And yet we were. All of this, of course, came because of, because of man's decision to run away from God and to sin against him. It had, it had earthly implications. And I should say heavenly implications as well. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ came and that he rose from the dead. Everything began to go back and above what it had been before. Now, a few years after Jesus Christ rose from the dead the Lord appeared to a man named Saul of Tarsus. His name would later be changed to Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, we saw already today that Jesus revealed to Mary and Peter and John and so many others that he had been raised from the dead. There's no doubt. But when he went to Paul, he revealed to Paul why he had been raised from the dead. Why why was he raised from the dead? You see, it was only after he went back to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down and so that the believers now had the ability to understand things that had never been revealed before that Jesus revealed them. And he revealed them in the ministry of the greatest enemy of the church before he was converted, Saul of Tarsus, who was now Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians and many other books. He learned from the Lord directly why. What are all the implications of the resurrection? What's the meaning of it? What happened in the spiritual realm? What has changed for everybody because Jesus rose from the dead? Paul received those things. He knew he wasn't worthy. And in fact, he was picked as the worst sinner who ever lived to prove God's mercy so that anyone who would come around and say, I'm too evil to be saved, would have to then be taught, hopefully, well, Paul was the worst ever and he was saved. In an incredible way. And God loves you just as much. In any event, not only was he saved, but he then became the apostle to the world, to the Gentile world, because he had a new message. Never been revealed before. He learned things and understood things about the Lord Jesus Christ and about God the Father and about what happens when somebody believes in Christ that no one had ever heard before. No one had ever heard before. For example, he learned that our Lord Jesus Christ was raised for our justification. Please turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 22. Romans chapter 4, verse 22. I think Christians understand, I think better, that Jesus Christ died because we sinned, for our transgressions, for our sins. But sometimes we forget that there was a purpose for us in his resurrection from the dead. A specific one. And we see that here in Romans chapter 4 verse 22. He's talking about Abraham now. He's making the the claim, the argument, that because Abraham, who was first, the first Gentile to become a Jew, and and he was the, was the, the, the example, the model for all Gentiles and Jews. And what happened to him was he simply believed in the Lord and it was reckoned, his faith was reckoned. The Lord saw his faith and he said, I now credit you with my righteousness on the basis of you believing what I've asked you to believe about salvation. 
And, and so now Paul is taking that all the way from the book of Genesis and bringing it into this letter that he wrote to Gentiles in Rome thousands of years later. And he writes this, Therefore, it was also credited to Abraham his faith as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written. It was written in Genesis. Not for his, Abraham's sake only was it written that Faith, righteousness was credited to him, but for our sake also, for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, the very righteousness of God will be credited as those who believe in him. Believe in him, let's keep going. As those who believe in him, who raised our Lord from the dead. Now we do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins. And that was so that our sins could be forgiven. That they'd be taken away, that they'd be wiped away. But here we are called to believe in God, the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Why? Because it will be credited to us as righteousness. Now think about this. Verse 25. He was delivered over. He died on the cross because of our transgressions, because of our sins. But he was raised because of our justification. By the way... It is actually, what is actually being said here was, we were, he was delivered for our sins and he was raised again for our justification. That it had, that it had everything to do with the reason that he rose from the dead was so that his father, upon anyone believing in him, could declare that person righteous. He did it for that purpose. It was done to him, actually. The Father raised him for the purpose that anyone who believed in him would not only have their sins forgiven, but also would be declared righteous by God the Father. Christ was raised from the dead, therefore, for our sake. For our sake. That God the Father would declare us righteous when we believed in him as the one who would raise Jesus from the dead. He was also raised from the dead so that he might intercede for us. If you're wondering sometimes why it is that your prayers are so powerful, and they are, by the way, pray because they are powerful. Well, one of the reasons for that is that we have God's Son in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, at his right hand right now, interceding for us, praying for us. By the way, way beyond anything that we could put into words. He sees it all. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows the complete plan of the Father. He knows he loves us so much. When he, he died for us when we were his enemies, he went through everything that a human being could possibly go through when he was here on earth. And now he is at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for us, interceding for us. That's another reason why he was raised from the dead, so that he could be there after having gone through his death and burial and being raised from the dead. He can now pray for us. Please look at Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Romans 8.33. These are tremendous, tremendous things. And you know what makes them even more tremendous? They're true, and they've been written down. And so that any Christian from the first century forward could go to these scriptures that God has given us so that we would know and understand these things. They're right here. They won't change. This is going to be here. If, you, if we're here, the Lord hasn't come to take us in 50 years. Someone can look at Romans 8, 33 to 34 and know that their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father praying for them on that day. Romans 8, 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? By the way, believers in Christ are God's elect. Okay, God's the one who justifies. We just saw that. God's the one who's declared us righteous. There's no condemnation for any believer who's in Christ Jesus, and all believers are. No condemnation ever. On the basis of faith in Christ, on the basis of what God did with Christ and to Christ when he had him die for our sins and raise him from the dead. God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Can you imagine the audacity, really, of anyone who would turn around and condemn somebody that God the Father has declared righteous in his eyes forever? 
has put them in the standing of righteous forever. How could somebody come around and, 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 and accuse them or condemn them of anything? The answer is only a fool or an arrogant one, oh, like Satan, who keeps trying to do it. But we should understand that, by the way, that neither are we to ever condemn a brother or a sister in Christ, no matter what they do, because Jesus Christ has died for all of those sins. As a matter of fact, we've died to sin itself. We are really new the moment we believe in Christ. And all that came before has been crucified with Christ. Our whole manner of life, everything that we have done and continue to do that is of the old man, has been dealt with forever. Who is one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised? Resurrection. He was raised and now notice, he's at the right hand of God. The Bible repeats itself so that we can go to different books and still see the same message. I repeat myself, partly because I'm getting old, but partly because the Bible does and there's a reason for it. Peter would say, I have no problem repeating these things to you again and again and again so that you'll never forget. So that you'll never forget. A, B, C, D, E, F, G... So that we'll never forget. If we can remember that, if we can remember a jingle on a commercial when we were 12 years old, then we need to remember these things as well. These things as well. He who died, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Intercedes for us. This one that we've seen coming out of the grave this morning, who appeared to hundreds of people and then skyrocketed to heaven. He went there. He's seated now. And right now, he is praying for you and I and everyone, particularly his brothers and sisters. He's praying for them. So I want you to think this morning about something that maybe you haven't shared with anybody. Something that maybe you haven't even put out of your mind yourself. And, And yet, it's so critical. And yet you don't know exactly what to do or how to say it. You go in prayer and you really struggle. And relax, because Jesus Christ knows all about it. He's praying for you. He's God in the flesh. Believe it. Believe these things. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. You know, we have, we have the movies and the cards and all these things. And we say to one another, you know, happy Resurrection Day if you're, you know, if you're in the know about Christianity. Or people say happy Easter, which I used to try to correct them about. But now I'm kind of a little more humble and mature and just I know what they mean. Right? But what did it, what did it mean? What does it mean? Where is he now? These are things that we can know and ought to and reflect on and believe Again and again and again, he intercedes for us. We saw that he was raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly places. We just saw that. We saw that twice. We saw it here. We saw it back in Ephesians. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and then eventually he was seated in the heavenly places. Now, there's another reason why. So that he would raise us up with him. That God would raise us up with God himself, seat us with God in Christ Jesus. It gets getting more and more amazing, isn't it? I mean, to me, it was pretty amazing to learn that Jesus Christ, after he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven in a miraculous way. That was pretty amazing. And then to understand that God in the flesh, the Son of God, was seated at the right hand of the Father, and that right now he's praying for us. I mean, I don't know about you, but he had me at resurrection, if you know what I'm saying, if you know the movie. But now more and more and more. Well, guess what else? He not only was raised from the dead himself and himself seated in the heavenly places, but the book of Ephesians, the very next chapter, says that God, because he was, Jesus was raised, Jesus was seated, God would now come and raise us up with him. And not only that, but seat us with him. In Christ Jesus. Let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Please don't just leave these as words on a paper. Jump in there. See yourself in there. Be amazed once again. 
That's why we have this day every year when the church just says, here we go. Everything's opened up. The grave is opened up. Our lives are opened up. Heaven is opened up. Step into it again. Understand it a little more. Celebrate it. Rejoice. Relax. Notice what else has already happened. Notice this. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, always but God. And by the way, anytime you have a problem in life, I just want you to first say, but God, right? Not but I, or won't you, or I can't believe how horrible it is. Just say, but God. In other words, he's still on the scene. But God, what did he do? Being rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And if there's somebody in your life who needs mercy, guess what? If you go to God, you're going to the right place. Because he's rich in mercy. In any way, because of his great love with which he loved us. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved us. That's the message of the resurrection too. How great a love that God would have. That he would have his son die for us. And then he'd raise him from the dead on the third day. Loved us, loves his son. But he loved us because he did. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, that's where we were. That's the essence of a life in the old man, dead, dead in our sins. What did God do? But God made us alive together with Christ. And he did it all by himself. He didn't do it for anything, anything that we contributed. Why? Because it was by grace you've been saved. Grace just means that God does it. It's nothing to do. We don't, have, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't have to work for it. He does it. He likes it that way. You don't want to know why? Because it gets us the heck out of the way. We, we, have, we have nothing but problems. I talk about old us. Nothing but problems. Nothing but difficulties. Nothing but sinfulness. Nothing but actually deserving to, to have happened to us what happened to Christ. Why would you want that person involved in saving themselves? I sure wouldn't, and neither did God. He did it all by himself. That's what grace is. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him. To me, that's just amazing. I mean, I'm, no sooner am I picturing the Lord Jesus Christ up there, seated at the right hand of the Father, that I turn the page and I find out when I believed in him, God the Father brought me up there with him. Now, of course, we're still on planet Earth. Make no mistake. But you see, God isn't bound by time or place. And as far as he is concerned, as far as he is concerned, you and I are up there right now with him. Everything he does for us, he does as if, for us as if, for him it's true, we're seated with God in Christ. I don't know, but if you haven't been blown away yet by anything this morning, take your pulse, will you? Make sure you're with us. We're up there with him. We're seated with him. That's how much God loves you. It started with God so loved us, right? His great love. Well, how much? He gave his son to die. He raised his son from the dead. He brought his son up there with him. His son is praying for us. And he also sees us as up there with him. That's where you are this morning. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ in heavenly places. That's bad. They think it sounds bad. I died. It's the best news you could ever possibly have. Because it's the old you that died. The one that had to die anyway. And you are perfectly new. And God sees you already up there with him. Seated next to his son. He raised us up with him and seated us with him. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice this. And it goes on. So that in the ages to come. If you've got concerns about today. You probably have concerns about tomorrow. Jesus Christ said, don't worry about tomorrow. Now, one of the best ways that he can convince us not to worry about tomorrow is for him to say, I've got you all the way to eternity. I'm going to bless you in the ages to come. Certainly, I'm going to bless you now, and I'll bless you then. Notice that in the ages to come, he might continue, I might add, to show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All those words are important. Ages to come. You know, we're, we're, we're worried today, maybe some of us sometimes, about the age we're in. The age we're in is, as far as the world is concerned, is the, is, is the worst in the world now. But Jesus said, yes, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of peace, be of good heart, because I've overcome the world. For Christians, this is the best age. Do you believe it? 
Do you believe that despite what you read in the papers, despite what you see on the internet and all these rumors of wars and all of these conspiracies and all of these question marks and conflicts and ugliness and hatred, do you believe that this is still the best time to be alive? Why? Because Christ is risen and we're in the heavenly places with him. None of that was said to Moses. Moses was a great man. Moses led the people to the promised land. He couldn't go in himself, and he died. But he was never during his life. Nobody ever came up to him, his brother Aaron or anybody else, and says, you know what? You're in the heavenly places with Christ right now. Nobody ever said that to him. Said it to you if you're a believer in Christ. Said it to me as a believer in Christ. That the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. There's grace, and there's the riches of grace, And then somebody come up and help me because I'm not tall enough to be the surpassing riches of grace. That's what he has for you. So he's already given you. We already have peace with God. We stand in his grace and we look forward with hope to the things to come. The surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead for another reason. That we would be united with him. See, see, now, whoa, wait a minute. Now, not only did he, was he raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, and then we learned that we were raised with him and were up there with him. Now we find out that we're in him. It gets more and more amazing. We're in him. Jesus was raised from the dead so that we would be united with him. And also in the likeness of his resurrection. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Now, I know I'm taking you a lot of scriptures this morning. I do that. I like to do that. I know it's a little hassle. You've got to keep finding the pages, and it's a big book. And let me see, Romans, is that after John or after Acts? Yeah, I know. But it's the greatest book ever written. I'm sure if I told you that, turn to Romans 4 because there's a big fat check for you for a million dollars. You'd find it pretty quick. Well, there's a big fat check for boundless grace and blessing, right? Of course, I'm as human as you are. I have the same issues sometimes where I can't quite get my arms around it. But you see, today, today we should all just rejoice in what's here. See the riches of what's here. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism, into death. That's why we've died to sin, died to the law, died to death itself. We've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, resurrection day, through the glory of the Father, we too, you see, we're here too. We're here too. We too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we, we have, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. He was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father for another reason, so that we too might walk in newness of life. Now what just happened? This is what just happened. We've been following him up to the heavens. We see that we're there with him. We see we're in him. And now we come back and we look around and we have a whole new life down here. And we walk every day in that new life now. So not only do we, we have this connection in the heavenlies, we also can come here and live a life that's in keeping with all these amazing things that God has done for us. Newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, Jesus was raised in a body from the dead. That's so important, by the way. It doesn't mean that he was like a spiritual being when he came out of the grave. It doesn't mean that at all. He came out of the grave in a human body. Now, definitely a glorified human body. But that's so important because, you see, we have these bodies of corruption. And by the way, human beings are designed to have a body. Okay, God... God there was a point to him saying, I, I took you and I, and I formed you out of, the, out of the soil and I made you. 
I breathe life into you. What, what, but the body was there. He means for all of us to have a body, by the way, forever. And so it was, it's totally critical, totally important that he would rise from the dead in a body. It would be a resurrected body. He was raised bodily from the dead. And guess what? He also did that so that one day we would be resurrected from the dead in a body like his. In a body like his. That's another reason he was raised from the dead. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. I do want to let everybody know that our, our, our teachings every Sunday, well, they broadcast live on the internet. I want to say hello to everybody who's there this morning. Glad you could be with us in the best way you possibly could this morning. We understand all of the things that are preventing people from gathering, but we just want you to know that we're with you. We know you're with us, but in any event, Jesus Christ died so that we would one day be resurrected from the dead in a body like his. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 14. I mentioned the website because we have every message recorded. But we also have like all the scriptures, all of the things that are on the screen. They're, they're there. So you can go right there and get them all. Now, I know people like to take notes. I love to take notes. Notes is a great way for you to first have things programmed in your head. But please relax too. Oh, I missed a word. Or Don't worry. Okay, you can go back on the website and it'll all be there. 1 Corinthians 6.14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will, say that with me, but will, does it say possibly, if you're good, if you don't sin too bad? No, will also raise us up through his power. I want you to see another scripture on the same subject. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We've died and our life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. God sees us as up there with Christ. He's raised us up to be there. He puts it another way here in Philippians 3. Perhaps a way that we can relate to in a a different way, in an understandable way in our own lives now. We're citizens now. We're citizens of a great country. God has blessed the United States in so many amazing ways. But that can't even compare to our real citizenship. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven where nothing can ever happen to it. In the greatest, the greatest community and, and city, anything you can ever imagine. We're citizens right now. If it were possible, we could go up there right now and have our little visa, our, our vaccine visa. We don't need any of those, by the way. And go up there and say, I'm a citizen of this place. You are right now a citizen of heaven. From which, from heaven, we also eagerly wait for a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will... Might, will, promise. When you get up in the morning and nothing's certain, you don't know who to trust, you don't know who to believe, you don't know what's going to happen today, just say to yourself, you know what, no matter what happens, he's going to transform my body one day into conformity with the body of the glory of Christ. That's what it says. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also heaven we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform. Now, we've seen the power of God this morning, have we not? We saw him, the power raise Jesus from the dead. We saw the power of God have him ascend into heaven. Now we'll see the power of God in the future. And it'll be our bodies that will have the power of God operating on us. That's what it says. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. That's a fancy word, conformity. But what it really means is, is that these sinful bodies that die, we will never have to have them again. But instead, we will be given a body just like Christ's. Just like Christ. Now, think about what that body was capable of, right? Walking through walls, being here one minute, and the next second you're over there, hundreds of miles away, skyrocket to heaven, right? We'll have a body like his. We'll have a body like his. By the how? 
Here it is. By the exertion of the power. The power. We talk about the omnipotence of God and the power of God. Well, think about the power that raises somebody from the dead. Think about the power that can take somebody who is dead, who used to be in a body of corruption, and now have them alive in a perfect body. Power. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. In other words, he calls the shots. He he, he has everything. We're amazed and we should be by what he's done to what we will do to our body, what he has done for us. And yet he has the power to bring everything back to himself. And that will happen on earth. There will be a kingdom when he'll return and everything will be transformed. You know, the animals won't be vicious anymore. Nobody will go hungry. The wine will be flowing. All kinds of things that he's done to transform this earth into an amazing paradise again. How? By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Our enemies, right? We have enemies, you know. And don't worry about the ones in the flesh. We have much worse enemies than that. Ephesians 6. We have these beings in the, in the heavenly places, the spiritual forces of wickedness and Boy, that could make you tremble, except that greater is he in us than any of those things. And one day, all those things will be made subject to him. They already are subject to him, but will be seen when he throws his enemies into the lake of fire. And then never to be seen again. He's got the power over everything. So he certainly has the power over your life tomorrow. You know, we tremble in ourselves, maybe about something that we have to go through. And I'm not make, making light of it. I know those things are difficult. But how about making those things a little less difficult by reflecting on the fact that the God who saved you, that put you in his son, is capable of anything, has all the power in the world, and loves you, and promises to take care of you. Well, this morning, we've seen, as it were, the inside scoop of all that happened when Christ was raised from the dead, when the angel declared, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. One thing remains to be said. And I want it to be said by the Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. The Gospel of John, chapter 11. You may be here thinking to yourself, these things are amazing. John chapter 11. I don't know why I don't have this slide, but I don't. John chapter 11. I'll repeat it enough. John 11, verse 25. You may have heard these things this morning. And I've emphasized grace and faith. And yet there might be a little part of you that says, wow, I guess you've got to be a special Christian to have all these things. No, you don't. You don't. It's all by grace. You know what it's by? It's simply by hearing the good news and believing it. That's, that's what it all is. It's hearing and believing it. That's how you get saved. That's how you enter into all these amazing things that God has already done for you. Let me ask you a question. If you had never seen the scriptures below, before and had these things preached to you, in your wildest dreams, would you ever come up with the idea that, that God would not only raise his son who was in a body from the dead, but also raise you with him? And have you seated there and have all your sins forgiven and be a totally new creature and then get a body like his someday? I, I don't think, I don't even, Ernest Hemingway would never come up with that. Nobody would. But we know it because of the scriptures and because of the spirit who's alive in us who tells us, the word does, that believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will never perish. Look at John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's his question. It's certainly his question to anybody who's listening today who has never believed in his, in his son. That had all your reasons and your confusions and your negativity and all the baloney that the world tries to throw at you to, let, to lie to you that there's no God who loves you, to lie to you that there's nothing you can do about your sins. And yet, that we have the truth right here and it hasn't changed for 2,000 years. And what an amazing thing to think about there's a God who loves you, who had his son die for you so that your sins would be forgiven forever. And not only that, but he was raised from the dead so that God would declare you righteous forever and that he would bring you up with him and that someday you'll have a resurrection body like the one that Jesus had when he came out of the grave. Believe. Do you believe this? Do you believe now? I pray that you do. I pray that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day. I pray that you believe the truth that when you believe in Jesus, you are declared righteous by God the Father. And that you will one day be raised from the dead in a body just like the one Jesus displayed when he came out of that tomb. All right, let's close now in prayer. We'll we'll now celebrate the Lord's Supper in a moment. Father, we know we can call you Father because of your word. We know your, your son Jesus Christ calls you Father. We know that the Holy Spirit inside convinces us that you are our Father. Well, today, Father, we just want to thank you and rejoice and help us to rejoice in the fact that your son Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And all the things that that led to, all the things that that brought about, that that accomplished, that he accomplished, for you, for the universe, and for us. Father, we would ask, too, that we would turn to your scriptures again and again so that we would have the good news, the truth about us in our hearts. And, Father, today we ask that as we now celebrate the Lord's Supper, that we would bring it all into remembrance again in a special way as we share a meal together as your Son has asked us to. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I would now like to invite the ushers forward so that you could pass out the communion elements for everybody.
Well, that day when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it was an amazing day. As the day progressed, the more and more people even that day heard about the good news. But not everybody. As day came to an end and it was late in the afternoon, there were two men walking. They were headed to a place called Emmaus. And then they had a visitor who came with them, joined them. And they were telling him, they were sad. And he said, why are they sad? Why are you sad? Well, you know, you should have seen the things that happened in Jerusalem. What, what things? Well, you see, there was a man. He was anointed with the Lord and great, great miracles. And we thought we understood that he was going to be the Messiah. But they killed him. They put him on a cross and killed him. And all our hopes were dashed. And then the Lord Jesus Christ said to them this. Notice well, you don't know this is in front of you. As they approached the village where they were going, he acted as though he were going further. They urged him, though. They said, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us? But he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So now we will break the bread together. And I pray that we recognize him, that we see him once again as we break the bread together, that our eyes would be open once again to understand all that the scriptures have to say about him. The Lord has really risen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as we break the bread... We also recognize him once again as the one who was raised from the dead. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you gathered us here together as a family. We thank you that we're around the table together. We thank you, Father, that we've shared a meal. And that in that meal, we have recognized your son, risen from the dead. We have understood once again and recalled his death on our behalf. And Father, like those gentlemen on the road to Emmaus, help us today to to hear it and believe it and then run out and tell others about it. On this day of all days, Father, give us the boldness and opportunity to tell other people what we have seen this morning in the scriptures that we know in our hearts is true about your son. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, just a couple more minutes now, and I'm going to give you a couple of announcements. Pay no attention to the screen. Is it still going? It's not even going. So I can do this all behind the scenes. All right, a couple of announcements. Um, Every Thursday at 6.30 on Skype, we have a Bible study. I pray that the day will be soon. We can come back and do it in the family room, but for now we're still out of caution 
keeping it on Skype. It's at 6.30. We're studying the book of Isaiah right now, and we really welcome any one of you that can make it to join us. Um, also, I want to let everybody know that uh, you're not going to have anything passed around today to put money in. We never do that. Oh, we do do that. When we have a visitor who's a missionary, we do it, but that's it. That's because we honor and respect the way the Lord told us to be givers now. Right? That it should be freely done. That out of, the, out of our hearts that are full of the truth, we would then want to do something for somebody else. And, and, and in this ministry, it would be to have the opportunity for others to hear the messages. All right? With the missionaries, the same kind of thing. Um, so that, that's how we're to give. And we should give, as the Lord says, with a joyful heart. All right, if anybody has any questions on anything pertaining to do with the Lord and the Bible, with the message today, you can always email me, all right, pastor at lbible.org, all right, and I, I do my best to give you, and by the way, I usually give you a better answer after I've been able to think about it than I am if you just off the cuff, right? Um, in fact, we had a question on Thursday evening, a Bible study, and I tried to answer it the best I could. And I just studied it for a couple hours, and now I have a better understanding. But by the way, if you guys know what that was, it still didn't clear things up entirely. Sometimes the Bible intentionally allows something there that is um, designed so we don't focus so much on the thing itself, but on what it means. Anyway, I'm talking about something you guys don't know about. But that's how it works, though. Anyway, the point is, is that you email me, and I'll try my best. I'll study if I have to, to give you a good answer. Pastor at lbible.org. All right, let's close again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that not only have we been able to go to your scriptures this morning and with the ministry of the Holy Spirit understand what's here and have it written on our hearts again, we also thank you, Father, for the we were able to gather as a family and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, now we would just pray for all those in need. We would pray, Father, for the persecuted church for unbelievers to have their eyes open to the truth of the gospel. Pray for each one of us this morning, too, and our needs and our families. And we just praise you again for your incredible plan that I had never seen or ears never heard, nor had ever entered into the hearts of any of us the things you prepared because you love us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. And now you're dismissed. Enjoy another New England day. It's still... It's a little cool out.